Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Again, welcome in. Uh, my name is Gray, a pastor here, and uh, thanks for, for coming in. If it's your first time here this morning, welcome, uh, and thank you for just taking the plunge and coming to a new place. And um, yeah, we're, we're continuing in our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. So we're going to be reading from chapter 3 this morning, the first 15 verses. And uh, this is probably the, the most famous passage in all of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the one that everybody references uh, because it's beautiful on the, uh, for one reason, and also because uh, the birds, a 1960s uh, folk group, did a song basically ripping off the whole passage as the lyrics to one of their songs, uh, Turn, Turn, Turn. You've probably heard that before. And, uh, and so that's been in my head all week because I've been reading this and uh, certainly is a good song, but... They just ripped it right out of the Bible, so of course it's a good song. Um, but there, there's a beauty to this passage. There's a beauty to it. There's a, there's a symmetry. Uh, there is a poetic value to the passage that is amazing to read through. There's no wonder that they grabbed it to write their song because it's a beautiful passage. But actually, if you look closely at it, it can also be a little disturbing, especially to those of us who like control over our lives as we talk about the seasons that God brings into our life. And so let's read these first 15 verses together, starting in verse 1, chapter 3. Be on your, in your bulletin as well. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear down, and a time, to sow, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so he that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that the people fear before Him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. This is the Word of the Lord. I want to talk this morning about time and uh, kind of an abstract concept to us, time, something that we struggle against. And I want to talk about what is the Christian view of, of time. 
Time is something that, as I mentioned, we struggle against because we feel like it's, uh, it's constantly running out. That's something that we say we're running out of time. Something that we say we don't have, even though that expression doesn't make sense when you think about it. We never have time. Time is something that we, we don't want to waste. And when we really think about time, what we really want is control of it. That's why we have time management books, which I love to read personally, so that we can get some kind of sense of control of the time. So this time that feels like it's slipping away from us is something that we can somehow capture and somehow put to our purposes. This uh, was put into stark relief for me last week. As many of you know, I had a horrible car accident, and this is the sermon that I was prepared to preach last week. And all that week, I had used my time management skills to, to finish this on time, and in such a way that I could get away for two days last week to go play in the snow with my kids up in Flagstaff. And so I planned my week well, even as I was looking at a passage that talks about God being in control of time. And as we were driving back, many of you know our truck flipped and we were in a very scary accident and I was not able to deliver in time what I had prepared for this time. And it was like, I, the irony was not lost on me. We'll just say that. Time is not something that we have or can control. It is given. It's given to us. And many of us think that if we could just get control of our time, and just make the seasons of our life make sense, then our life will fall into complete order. The New York Times uh, releases these little 10-minute documentaries. Sometimes you can find them online. And uh, a couple years ago, they recorded one of Mario Salcedo. Mario was an interesting figure. He's, his nickname is Super Mario. That's the nickname given to him by the Royal Caribbean Cruise Line because he is their number one customer. He spent the, the better part almost all of the last 22 years on a cruise ship. <laughs> and for some of you who are like, that sounds amazing. Others of you who don't like cruises are like already dying on the inside a little bit. Uh, but 22 years, he spends, uh, except for two weeks out of every year, he spends every moment on a cruise ship. He got to the point in his life where he thought, this is what I want my life to be like, and so he wanted that control of his time, and he says at the beginning of the documentary, it's just 10 minutes, you can find it online, I don't have any vacation. I'm basically escaping reality, he said. I want to create my own little world, and I want to be away from all the issues living on land. I don't have to take out the garbage. I don't have to clean. I don't have to do laundry. I have all the time in the world to do only what I want to do. And the, the documentary starts out so positive. It's like it's a beautiful look uh, at somebody who has made it, but it, it takes a turn in, in, in the documentary as it unfolds. It actually shows the darker side, and it shows him sitting with some acquaintances, people that he's recently met, just some cruise ship companions, and he's talking about what's next for him, what's next in his life. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, a human being needs something next. We need something to look forward to. And he says, I guess the only thing that I have to look forward to is new ships 
from Caribbean, Royal Caribbean. And these people have been listening to him and talking to him, and it's clearly just caught candidly on the, on the camera. And there's kind of a lull, there's a silence as people awkwardly try to take in this information that his whole life now is bent towards a new cruise ship, whenever that might be. And there's a lull, and it's awkward. And then somebody says, well, congratulations. Cheers to you. And they all raise their glasses. And he sees how awkward it is, and he then reassures them, maybe reassures himself, but I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. To get to the place where he can do anything he wants in the world, and yet to try to convince himself that he's happy. This is a view of time that we somehow have in the back of our minds, that if I can get to the place where I control my life completely, then, then I'll hit that arrival mark. But the Scriptures tell us that time is not something that's in our control. It is something that we are given, and yet we are called to be faithful with. In whatever seasons God brings us into. I want to ask that question this morning. How can we be faithful in the time that is given? How can we be faithful in the time that is given? Four things. I'm going to spend the most time on the first one this morning. The first one, and really the overall thrust of the whole passage, is this. How you can be faithful is, first of all, release your attempts at control. Release your attempts at control of time. We get this in the very first verse in two hints. For everything, verse 1, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. The first hint is the word season there. We're accustomed to think of seasons as the four seasons of the year, and that's clearly what it's getting at, but the the word just means appointed time. A season is an appointed time. We don't control when spring, winter, and summer come. We watch for them. We try to live in the time that is given. The season, it it carries with it the idea of predetermination. The appointed time is the season. And the second hint is that it's under heaven. Well, we've been looking at a different phrase throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon uses. He says, under the sun. And now he switches and says, under heaven. And so he's hinting at us there that this is not just life as we experience it. That's what under the sun means. This is how I see life. Good, the bad, and the ugly. He's saying this is actually a glimpse, just a glimpse of God's perspective. And when we look at God's perspective, He sees the appointed seasons that He has brought out, that He sets. And then Solomon proceeds to give us lots of different seasons. 28 of them, in fact, time to be born and time to die, and on through the list. These pairs, there's 28 seasons listed. Two sets of seven pairs. Seven pairs and then seven pairs. 14, 14, 28. And you look at these seasons that we are given here, there is a kind of poetry and a beauty to it. You can see how they're so balanced and, and beautiful. And we, we resonate as we read through these things. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. It's so much of our life makes sense in these different seasons. But you will also notice 
if you read through them over and over again as I did these last couple of weeks, that there is no discernible order to the way that they're given. Except for maybe the first one. A time to be born and a time to die. That's kind of a summary of the rest of them. But other than that, they kind of go in different orders. And there's no... I tried. I tried to see what, what's the pattern here, right? What are all these seasons? But I've come to believe that the, the point of the passage is the format itself. That there is a beauty and there is a symmetry to the world, but ultimately that beauty and symmetry belongs to God and is not discernible to the human being. Not to us. They're full of things that we can't control. Things like grieving. There's a time to mourn, we're told. How long does it take to get over a lost loved one? There's no telling that. How long is that season? What are the stages of grief? I mean, stages of grief may be, may be useful in retrospect. But anybody that's grieving right now knows that there are no, there's no stages to it. It's, it's different every single day. When does that grief turn into dancing? It does. It does at some point. But when? Here's another one that we could zoom in on for just a moment. The last one, a time for war and a time for peace. When so many of us are glued to our TV screens, doom scrolling on our phones, trying to figure out what is happening in Ukraine. Why? Why are all of us so fascinated? Why can't we look away? There have been other wars. There's never been a time when there wasn't a war going on, some kind of skirmish. It's because this war is somehow personal to us. It's connected to us. It feels like there's a there's something significant happening when there's a first land invasion since World War II and, and how it affects the, the East and the West. And then it gets to us and we start to think about it and we realize that it's been a long time of relative peace. There have been lots of wars going on. Maybe wars that we should have cared about that we haven't really cared about. And yet, now it's shaking us up. The United States and Europe have been in relative peace since 1945. And it's easy to start to think that peace is the normal thing and that war is some kind of abnormal thing. But the truth is, there have always been seasons of peace and there have always been seasons of war. And they come and they go. We are not too enlightened for war. We've not gotten beyond it. The same things that are at play have always been at play. And I hope that we aren't at war personally and I'm not predicting that we will, but we're not beyond war. It has come before, and it will come again. It's the season, and it's controlled by the hand of God. I mentioned the disturbingness of this passage for those of us who like to control our time because this passage clearly teaches that God is the one who brings these predetermined seasons into our lives. Something that we talk about often is the sovereignty of God, that God is in control of things. He is in control of the seasons. And it can be alarming to us. What does this mean? Does this mean that everything is predetermined for us? Prescripted? That we're robots you know, you know, doing some kind of play here that He's already scripted? 
And what the Scriptures teach us is that we are neither robots, sometimes called hard determinism. It's not the fact that, that we have, are supposed to see ourselves that way. Nor is it true that we are totally free agents where God is waiting to see what we're going to do so that He knows what He can do. That's not what the Scripture teaches either. Rather, the, the sovereignty of God, the control of God, and the responsibility of man are compatible. Mysterious, but compatible. And whenever God's sovereignty, whenever His control is spoken of in Scripture, it's not presented as something robotic or something that that is supposed to be scary, but ultimately is something that is comforting. If you struggle with this, ask yourself, do you really want the opposite to be true? Is it really better to think that you are in control of every season of your life? Is it really more reassuring that the seeming chaos of your life may not have an ultimate purpose? Actually, Things get harder when you do that. Much better to trust in the Scriptures when it says this is predetermined by God. He brings us into these seasons and He has purposes in them. So release your control. You don't own time. I know many of us are anxious about something that we want to happen in our lives. We really we want a job. We really want a different boss. We really want more money. We really want a child. We really want to get married. We really want a house. Whatever it is. And perhaps the voice of the Lord is saying to us, not yet. Not now. This isn't the season. This isn't the appointed time. Doesn't mean that it won't be in the future. Doesn't mean that it's not a good desire. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't pray for it. Doesn't mean any of those things. But are you going to entrust yourself of the, to the God of time who controls the world and brings it to His purposes? The God of every season. By the way, He is God whether you are mourning or dancing. Whether we are in a time of war or a time of peace. Whether we're casting stones or we're putting away those stones he is god and he brings the world in the order that he desires and that is ultimately a very good thing for us release your attempts at control is the christian view of time we live in god's time secondly name what is beautiful look at verse 9 with me what gain as the worker from his toil. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We've seen this phrase before in Ecclesiastes, what gain what gain, what's the gain? The, the word there is, is leverage. What, what's the extra gain? How can I get a view on the world where I can completely understand it. And we've been told over and over again that there is no gain. There is no extra way to get one up on God. We are supposed to submit to Him. And yet, we can recognize, and Solomon certainly does, some of the things that he's doing. Some of the beautiful things. The word beautiful there, he has made everything beautiful in its time, actually means fitting 
or appropriate. There's something that is right about what God is doing right now. And the Scriptures certainly teach us that in retrospect, and sometimes in the moment, we can discern some of what God is doing. In retrospect, and sometimes in the moment, we can discern some of what God is doing. We have eternity in our hearts. God has placed that in our hearts so that we, we can't know the end from the beginning, but, but we can see some of it. We're not like the beasts. We are like the beasts we're going to see next week in the fact that we die and we lose our breath. But we are not like the beast in this. I mean, my dog doesn't think about time, right? Or he has a very skewed view of time, right? I think it's Jim Gaffigan, the comedian, who said, like, whenever I come home, my dog thinks I'm like returning from war. You know, it's like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. you know, even if it was like 10 minutes, you know, it's like there's no time there. But we have eternity in our hearts. And so it's so painful and yet it's so beautiful to see the outline of that beauty. I want to share something from Derek Kidner, an amazing scholar. This is so beautiful. He says this, We are like the desperately nearsighted inching their way along some great tapestry or fresco in the attempt to take it in. We see enough to recognize something of its quality, but the grand design escapes us. For we can never stand back far enough to view it as its Creator does, whole and entire, from beginning to the end. So beautiful. There is a fresco there is a tapestry, but we are like the desperately nearsighted. We're so close. We can see what's in front of us, and we can see the outline of the beauty of what God is doing. But, but the grand design escapes us. And so, this is what Solomon is saying look, you have eternity in your heart, but yet you can't see the end from the beginning. You can see some of it, so name what is good. Solomon saw some of the mind of God, and he saw that there was beauty, there was fitting, there was appropriateness in every season. But he stopped short of saying, I know exactly what God is doing. He doesn't have that. Our good friend Elizabeth, who died a year and a half ago of cancer, is a college friend of ours, um, while she was still alive, I remember talking to her husband, Eric, who's one of my best friends, and uh, he, he told me that one of the beautiful things that's happened when, while Elizabeth had cancer was that uh, what an amazing evangelist she became. <laughs> that, you know, when she received this terminal diagnosis, there's something in her that just connected with people and people came to faith in Christ and that she shared with everyone and she was just this beautiful person and so people were attracted to the faith and he said so that was really beautiful but I can't tell most Christians that I remember him saying that to me I can't tell most Christians that because they'll think that what I'm doing is justifying cancer no it doesn't justify cancer cancer is the enemy death is the enemy Cancer occupies a part of the canvas that I can't stand far back enough to see. None of us can. 
But he could see enough to see the beauty of her faith. You see, there was something beautiful. You can't control time, but you can see some of what God is doing in the world. Name what is beautiful. Release your, content, your attempt at control. Third, the Scriptures teach us to enjoy the present moment. Here is where the Scriptures and what pop psychology might line up for a moment and say this is something that is true. How we should view time. Solomon ends this passage saying that he knows two things. I perceived, I perceived, or I know, I know. And the first thing that he knows, in verse 12, let's read it together. I know that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. If you want to think Christianly about time, you are going to think about the present moment. Not just dwelling on what should have happened or might have been done or what could, not just dreaming about a future season that could be better, but what has God given me right now to be faithful with? What food has He given me to eat? What drink has He given me to enjoy? What work has He given me to do and do well? What relationships has He given me? See, the temptation is to sulk and wish for a different season. I wish that this was a time of dancing, but it's a time of mourning. There are things in the present moment that God has given you to enjoy. It's a beautiful remedy to what we've talked about previously when we talked about why we do anything. Why this work? What gain do we have in our toil? And we said it's kind of like the sandcastle, right? We build the sandcastle. Why would we build a sandcastle that we know the tide is going to take away over the night? And part of Solomon's answer is, well, there's more than one good reason to build a sandcastle. Beyond accomplishment, it's also fun. It's also a good thing to do with your kids. It's also creative. It also helps relieve stress. All kinds of things. There is a joy in doing it. There are intrinsic rewards to living in the present moment. The Scriptures teach us that that is a good thing for us to do. To not just be bound up with time from the past and what wounds and what shame we're carrying. Not just be bound up with the future and what joys we could have or things that we're working towards, but that we take what He has given us now. And that we enjoy those rewards. If we're always in the past or always in the future, then we don't have the view of time that Solomon is teaching us. Release your attempts at control. Name what is beautiful. Enjoy the present moment. Fourth and finally, fear the God of eternity. The second thing that Solomon perceives or knows, verse 14, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that the people fear before Him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. We're called to fear the God of eternity. That is to reverence Him with our lives. Until we have a view of God where we see Him and acknowledge Him with our lives, then we waste our time. Because this is 
His world. He is the only one who knows the end from the beginning. To, to have a view of time this way is to acknowledge that we have faith in God who has the tapestry, right? We may only be one stitch. We may only be one bolt of cloth, one thread on this tapestry. But for us to name that there is a weaver, there is a tapestry, there is a grand design. And it is God who controls it. And to give our lives to Him then in reverence for what He is doing rather than what we can then do ourselves. I was thinking about this this week. Um, there has never been a time when the people of God were not waiting in the dark. Just think about that for a minute. The whole story, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, people waiting, longing for the Savior to come. Waiting for this Son of David to sit on the throne. Not knowing what that looks like. Well, what about when Jesus comes? Surely then they had the light. Surely they knew God's purposes in the world. But then we, we meet the disciples, right? And they, they don't know. Uh, they don't know what Jesus is doing. They spend their time waiting for Jesus to do things that He's not come to do. Overthrow Rome and become a different kind of leader. And so they're waiting in the dark for something that doesn't come. What about after Jesus dies? What after He's, after he's raised from the dead? Surely those 40 days with Jesus before He ascended, everybody understood the purposes of God. I think that's probably the closest people have been. But I think about Acts chapter 1 when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven and the disciples come and they ask Him a question. They're like, will you now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times. It's not for you to know. They're still in the dark. Where are we now? Jesus has died. He has, he has risen. He has ascended into heaven. We now are waiting for the Son of God to return. We wait and we don't know. The Scriptures tell us we can't know when He returns. There has never been a time when the people of God were not waiting for His purposes to become true. That doesn't mean that we can't see some of what God has done. We live in a more privileged time than Solomon does. Solomon saw this one stitch, this one piece of the tapestry. We see more of it we live in greater light. And we know that the fullness of time is Jesus Christ come into the world. Galatians chapter 4 teaches us this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, see how far we can see. The fullness of time is that Jesus Christ came into time, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us out of the law, and He has given us this adoption. We are adopted into the family of God. Not only that, He's given us the Spirit of His Son so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. We know more than Solomon did about that relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the fullness of time. In Revelation, the, book, the last book of the Bible, Jesus is called the beginning and the end. He is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. 
What does that mean? It means He was slain outside of time. Jesus, the, the One, the Eternal One, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, entered into time. Came as a person for our, on our behalf. And we will not use our time well. We will not know what that even means until the eternity that's built in our hearts meets with the eternity in the person. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. And so, we live in the most privileged time in history, and we are still in the dark. We still don't know what God's doing. We still can't see the end from the beginning. We still don't know His purposes. And there's wisdom in living with what you know, with, with what God has given you. If you know Jesus Christ, then you have the fullness of time. And now your time and your life is meaningful because you are connected to Him. But there's still seasons of your life. And there's opportunities for you to release what you can control and think you can control to Him. We let those seasons come. And we let God do His will, His appointed times, and we focus on our faithfulness. On our living right now, faithfully to Him, which means first trusting in Christ, and then living in the present moment, and then seeing what is beautiful and releasing our control, because He is the one who is in control. Let's pray.